Father God, I pray you speak to us today. I pray that you challenge us, transform us, and you conform us to the image of your Son. Come and have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we kick off an eight-week series, something we've never done before, and we are looking at the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the problem I have with looking at the Ark of the Covenant is, the more I look at the Ark of the Covenant, the more I got completely confused by it, because the different things that rabbis have said down the years range from okay to no way, dang. Um, so there was one opinion, so people used to carry the Ark of the Covenant, but one rabbi said um, in the Midrash, um, oh no, they did not carry the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant carried them. <laughs> and the, the people literally hovered. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. Another place, because the Ark of the Covenant was so far ahead of the people, it was about 800 meters ahead with the priests uh, taking it, that um, apparently one um, Midrash said that the, the, like, almost like fire came from underneath it, consuming all the thorns and the brambles ahead of them, clearing the way as, as they went forward. And there was some really funky, funky stuff that was kind of said about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, a lot of amazing stuff. So today we're going to go through a couple of things. We're going to go through what it meant for them right at the beginning. We're going to look at uh, another story involving it. There are so many stories involving the Ark of the Covenant. Um, we're going to talk about what it means for us today as well. Now, the Ark of the Covenant and all the things we're looking at are really peculiar because they all kind of fall under the category of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is this huge kind of tented area, and the whole idea was that God would live amongst his people. Now, Moses had a number of different things going on at the same time. On the one hand, we had this law, which came into being through, through Moses' time um, running things. And we also see a huge emphasis, not only um, looking forward to a new way of thinking, a new way of governance, a new way and a new identity for a huge people group that have come with all their baggage to transform them and change them. Moses is used by God to, to bring in this law into effect. But the bigger thing that we see parallels with is not just the law, we see the Garden of Eden. It's really peculiar, but we see the Garden of Eden because the tabernacle has this east-facing gate with allegedly a cherubim guarding it. So the notion being was that they lived in the Garden of Eden with God, Adam and Eve, and that this people lost living in the wilderness are having this sense of being with God in that same sort of way. It's, it's peculiar. There's a number of things in the tabernacle that point not only towards something new, but something very ancient. So there's like a recommunication of the same truth, but in a new way. You've got the tree of life and the tree of knowledge mixed in there. But we're going to go over that in a couple of weeks. Otherwise, there'll be nothing exciting to look forward to. <laughs> and you definitely don't want to kill that of an eight-week series. It could get really long. So today, what we are looking at is we're looking at Exodus 25 and verse 10. They shall make an ark of archaeal wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. You shall overlay it. You shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them 
on its feet, two rings on the side of it, two rings on the other side of it. You shall place poles of archaea wood that over, and then overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. The testimony that I shall give you. So, so key. So they talk about here, the first time, they talk about the law as the testimony. I found that really, really interesting. So their understanding of the law and how we see the law is very, very different. We only tend to see the law through a Reformation kind of eye. Uh, through the eyes of the Reformation, we only see it through the eyes of Paul. And we always see it as this, this measure of salvation. Um, and we see it in the context of eternal life. Um, they saw it as how to live and the testimony of God's life that can be found in this world and in us here and now. So they call it the testimony that I shall give you. And so that ends up being the, the Ten Commandments end up going in there. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and the one cherub on the other end. One piece of the mercy seat um, shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces to one another towards the mercy seat shall the face of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all the things I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Okay, that's literally it. So that's it, that's it, that's the spec. That's building this, this object. Now, in the Jewish tradition, this one item stands completely isolated and alone. And the reason for that is, throughout the whole tradition of, of the Judeo-Christian faith, idolatry is strictly forbidden. And idolatry nothing is seen as sacred. No entity, no, no, no created thing is, 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 is seen as intrinsically holy. It's just seen as, as things. So when we start, go to the start of the faith, which for the Jewish people, they look at Abraham, even though there's preceding stories, that's like Father Abraham. That's the father of their faith. That, that's where this all comes into being. He is an idol smasher. So he sets the tone with like tearing down idols. We move on and the law has very strict rules about idols. Throughout the whole of the Jewish faith, they're totally against these created made things. With one exception, this ark is, is, is it's not an idol. So don't, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's in a confusing position that for many to look at that this one item was seen as, as sacred and seen as holy. Now, there's a number of things to be seen with this which are, are, are quite important. Um, symbolically speaking, um, the Ark of the Covenant, people say, where is it now? No one really knows. There's a place in Ethiopia that claims they have it in a room, but only one person's allowed to see it, so then no one can clarify whether they actually have the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so they're claiming they have, but no one can validate it because no one's allowed to see it except the one guy. So that's awkward. 
um, but they've kept that in keeping with the law. Um, so there's there's this there's this 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 real sacred sense which hasn't just ended there, but um, after it getting lost. But even today, with claims of it, it it being around, there's this there's this whole sacred kind of nature and dynamic to it. Now, for the people at this particular time, it was a really big deal. So uh, Tutankhamun's tomb was found, and in it was something that looks pretty much the same as the Ark of the Covenant. It's missing the cherubs, the angels on it, but it looks like you look at that, you look at this, and you, you can see similarities between them. So straight off the bat, this was something that would be recognizable to a people that had lived in Egypt. So what was the statement behind this, this Ark of the Covenant? What was the statement that was being made? The statement that was being made from the Ark of the Covenant for this people was, and this is where we tie it in with uh, the whole Eden thing, but it was the kingship of God. So the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, this was seen as the throne of God. So God was seen as their king, direct access to God. And Moses would come, Aaron would come, and they would bow, and they would speak with God through this means. Now, later on, this transitions and changes a lot with Solomon's temple. The high priest would come in, well, one priest would come in once a year at the time that we would now call like, um, the Jewish people would call like Yom Kippur, and he would literally just smother the place in incense, clouds of incense. Um, the idea behind it, or the suggestion is, that throughout the whole of the Exodus story, you see the ark go 800, people, 800 meters ahead of the people. And there's this pillar of this cloud, or there's a fire guiding them constantly the whole time. And the idea, like it's almost like trying to be a ninja. This guy would have to be like kind of without fault, nothing wrong with him, he would come in once a year to plead on behalf of the whole nation and their sins, and he would like literally go in there like a ninja with this incense burning thing, creating a cloud, he's almost like kind of like going, please don't see me, please don't see me, please don't see me, don't let us actually have real contact, I don't want to meet you in that way, I'm not, and so they would do this whole cloud, this whole thing, because they would see, this is the throne, this is the king, and you have to come to correct before the king, so... Moses had and God instructs Moses to have this so that the people know that he is among them and he is living among them and there's this 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 parallel between kind of what you have in other nations but there's this very unique flavor tying back to the garden of eden of um the the tradition of God and Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the evening, that God is in their midst, but also the way their whole camp is laid out, like at the center of the garden, which knowledge, good and evil, tree of life, at the center of their, their whole camp, it, when they've stopped, is this, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses comes in and he would come to the mercy seat and God would speak literally through the, the center, which is where the two angels, cherubim, gold, are kind of bowed and, and, and facing forward. But what they have is they have something they can put their faith in, something they put their trust in, which is why it's so confusing because of the whole idea with idolatry. It's such a confusing concept. If we go ahead like with like to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 15, so the context is people are carrying the ark. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in 
the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. They're saying this is the time of harvest. The, the banks of the Jordan are completely overflowing. So these guys' feet touch the edge of it. The waters coming down from above stood, rose up in a heap very far away at Adam and the city that is beside it, Zareth, um, Zarathan, and those flowing down towards the sea of the Arabah, at the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel passing over on the dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When the nation finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take the twelve men from the people of each tribe, command them saying then they put this altar there they put these 12 stones there one of each of them to remember this moment so like they had this story of the exodus story of God being with them Moses going forward and the sea parting but we have the same thing at the Jordan and all it takes for this to happen is these guys who are carrying this ark just have their feet have to touch the edge of the water boom they just walk straight across at harvest time when it overflows when it's at its most voracious kind of current and that's when it stops and these guys just calmly stand there carrying it while a whole nation crosses over and it's when they walk off bang it closes up again and so this people look towards this 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 arc this 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 thing and they would know one simple thing they believed that this was the very presence of god living among their people that he was with them and that he was for them so for them, they would have this confidence that God was with them from this visual symbol. So what we can take for it is the very same thing. We take the very same thing, but not a visual aid to see that God is with us, but we can take something from these lessons. Now, it's all great when waters are parting, and it's all great when they go into battle. So we talk about the, the Jericho story and narrative, and what people always talk about is God tells them to walk around it seven times. There's a loud shout, and the walls come down. That's not how they saw the story. This is how they saw the story. These dudes are carrying the Ark of the Covenant at the front, walking around the Jericho seven times. They don't see it as being about the people marching. They don't necessarily even see it about the trumpet. As far as they're concerned, the Ark of the Covenant went around Jericho seven times and they got to tag along. <laughs> and then they got to make a loud shout and celebrate in faith what the Ark of the Covenant was going to do. <laughs> so for them... It's not about anything else than this thing going around. That's what they care about. That's what their focus is on. And so when they look to that story, it's not about the craziness of marching around. It's like, of course the walls are coming down. The Ark of the Covenant went around it. Like God went around it. It's done. This is in the bag. This is, this is how their mentality and how they see it. So when you have moments like that where you see the busiest time of the year, the river parts, and you just walk across... And then when you see one of the mightiest fortifications within the land that God's promised you come crumbling down, and it's all around this object of God being with us, you can understand the kind of mentality that that would build, that you'd really start to see that God is for you. Now, the last part we're going to look at today, there are so many stories, and there's so many narratives we could flick to, but we are going to be looking in the book of Samuel and we're going to be looking at chapter 4. And the reason this narrative matters for us is because actually, you know what? There are times when you do feel like he's with you and he's for you. 
but there are moments in our lives when it seems like this is not how I planned for this to go. This is not what I expected would happen. And I feel forsaken and I feel alone. And that is what this narrative is about, even with the Ark of the Covenant. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Apek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I love their mentality because they see it not as the Philistines won. <laughs> they see their own God defeated them, which is a pretty cool mentality. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Now, this is not the smartest thing to do because actually you're meant to consult with the Ark of the Covenant on what you're supposed to do. Not just go, oh, we've got the Ark of the Covenant, let's just chuck it out there. So that's not a smart way to live your life. So it's kind of like the mentality of the Christian that goes, well, you know, God said he's for me, so let me just do what the heck I want. He's only for me. It's like, really? Are you for realsies? Like, that's not the way things go. You just build your own plan and go, God is for me. Let me know how that works out because it's not going to work out that great. And that's pretty much what they do here. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned, who was enthroned, this is the king. So they basically bring the king and just stick him there. This is their mentality on the, on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophani and, and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this happened for. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians and every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter for their fell of Israel, 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of, the Lord of God was captured. And the two sons, Eli, Hophani, and Phinehas, died. The, the two sons of Eli. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn, with dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli, sitting on his seat by the road, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the men came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is the uproar? The man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years of old, and his eyes were so set that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, was so that he could not see, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. He said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel fled from the Philistines. There has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons are dead and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. 
And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband was dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because her father-in-law and her husband had died. And the glory has departed Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So there's this huge tragedy. Huge, huge tragedy. So they've acted in this particular manner. This defeat has, has come upon them. But you have to understand their mentality and the way that they would see this defeat and the way that the world would tell them about this defeat. You and I live in a world where we have a set of beliefs and a set of understanding of the way that we see things. There are certain pressures that you and I face that if we're, faced, if we're to hold true to the faith and see certain views um, based upon um, the teachings of Jesus, then we're going to be seen in a certain way. There are certain pressures that come upon us to reject those teachings and to embrace a new dogma which society values. They live in a world where there are multiple nations all around them and all those nations have gods. And the other gods are fearing their god because of the situation. Now with this ark being gone, the dogma and the, 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 the message pushed upon them is your God isn't so great. Um, he's forsaken you. He's not looking after you. He's not for you. You're screwed. There's no hope for you. This is the darkest day that could ever come upon you. And this is the end of your faith. So you had the beginning of your faith of Abraham. This kind of a moment is like an apocalyptic shattering worldview where this is it. This is drawing to a close. End of. That art of the covenant is meant to be God's presence with you. And that's been taken. Now, let me tell you, there are things that happen in your life that cause you to question the very existence of God or cause you to cause into question the very existence of a loving God or that cause you to question the very existence of a God that is actually for you, which is the message of the Christian tradition, that God is for you and that he's not against you and that he has a plan for you, that he has a purpose for you, that he's restoring and redeeming and reconciling all things to himself and that he wants us to be a part of this great mission. That's the message. There are things that happen that cause that to question this for them in their faith their worldview their moment in time is earth shattering it's the end of the of their world as they know it but something's about to happen here which is going to set a new precedence it's going to set a new worldview that is going to be one of the things that they're going to be able to look to for generations to come and it's the same thing that we can look to um, for us so in chapter five when the philistines captured the ark of god they brought it from ebenezer to ashod then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Beside Dagon. When the people of Ashod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. Now, Dagon's like their God. <laughs> so they've taken the Ark of the Covenant and they've gone, well, our God is so mighty, our God is so great. Let's celebrate and put their God in front of our God because our God has been victorious. <laughs> when they come back to the house, <laughs> the other god is prostrate. It's a statue. Like, the statue is prostrate. How does statue just become prostrate? Like, it doesn't even make sense. So they come, and he's fallen to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, and they put him back in his place. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off. <laughs> so now their God is a statue, is decapitated with no hands. <laughs> so it's like your God has nothing to think with and he can't action out anything. So 
At this moment, and this is just before the Ark of the Lord, like, there's no Israelites around, like, and no one in the village would be, no one in their people would be like, let's go do this to, like, that, you, you don't touch this. This is like, and especially at a point when this is a great point in their history where they are victorious and their God is kind of mocking the other one because it's not just nation against nation, it's God against God. That's the way they see it. So this Ark of the Covenant has been placed there and it's decapitated their God. Like, that's a, that's a pretty crazy deal. Only the trunk of, of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who entered the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon that is in Ashdod to this day. They're not even involved anymore. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that the tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of the Lord to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of the Lord came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around this ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. So things are really not going well. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were struck with tumors in the city, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So... The ark gets returned to Israel. There's a few more stories we could focus on after that about what happens um, regarding it, which would sustain the main point. But I think the point is clear. I think the point in this story is very, very clear. You know what? There are times you go through in life where you look forward and you can see nothing ahead of you. And it's not even you just can't see anything ahead of you. You can't see any value in the space you are currently in. You can't see any value in the existence you currently have. It feels like an earth-shattering moment. And you know what? They happen to all of us. Everyone has a moment in their life where they get to that place. And what I love about this narrative is they've gone through the highs of God is with us, God is for us. But there comes a day when it feels like God is not with you and the end is here. And it can feel so bad that a woman wants to call her child God's glory has left this place. I personally don't want to name my kids that. And I suggest that none of us do as well. But they can get to that sort of position. And God teaches them a new lesson, which is even in that place, I am working all things together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his plans and his purposes. That even in the darkest day, there is something that is happening over there. And why is there something happening? Because the Ark of the Covenant, God with us. You know, the Catholics have, talk about the Ark of the Covenant as well. They use that terminology about Mary. Because they know the testimony of the Word became flesh and blood. And that it wasn't inside a gold chest. And that it lived among us. And they know too that in the same context, in the same story, we have a moment where Jesus is crucified and there is death. 
and it seems like there is no hope going forward, only to find out there's a resurrection. <laughs> we have our own Ark of the Covenant, and we have our own testimony we look to, and the testimony is Jesus. And we look towards him because when the darkest moments ever come, we know that we can say like Paul, death, where is your sting? There is a resurrection that he brings. And not just one to look forward to that can be experienced in the realm that we call eternity, where time ceases to have its relevance and its stamp and mark upon us, but actually in the here and now that we can experience the resurrection of Jesus in our heartaches, in our pains, in our physical body. We can experience physical healing from Jesus. We can experience emotional healing from Jesus. We can experience mental healing from Jesus. We can experience spiritual healing. And not only that, but Jesus says, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be a people that bring about the same restoration. I want you to be the living testimonies. I don't want to write my law and my instruction on tablets of stone that are kept in a box. I want to write them on your hearts, that you would be the living visual embodiment that God is with his people in amongst the, the people around us. So what does the Ark of the Covenant mean for us today? Well, we look way past the Ark of the Covenant. That is a starting point for our people who are enslaved. But for us, the people who are enslaved for various different sins and different positions and different hardships, Jesus sets us free that his testimony and his word may live through us and out of us amongst the people we meet. Which leaves us with the question, and the question is this week ahead. Who are we going to meet this week that we are going to reveal the testimony of who Jesus is? I'm not talking about talking to someone about some dogma or some doctrine. I'm talking about who are we going to meet that we're going to live it to? Who are we going to meet? How are we going to live it? I've got my book coming out at the end of this month. And it talks about the Shema. And we've talked about the Shema here. And we will do a series on the Shema again. Because ultimately it's hearing what God is saying and it's living it. And City Hill may not be a mega church with mega bucks. And we are not many in number. But I'll be damned if we aren't people that people look at and see the testimony of who God is. You may have failings in some areas of your life. You may have hang-ups that make you say, well, I can't be it. No, you can. You have hang-ups. That's great. Allow God to bring the healing and restoration you need in that area. But you have to be a testimony somewhere. There's areas in your life where you are not deficient. There are areas in my life where I'm not deficient. There are areas that I'm ashamed of and I hate and I detest. And I'm seeking God for healing. But there are still things that's not going to stop me from living and being the healing someone else needs. And we can never have that mentality among us. Because if this story is anything, it tells us that even when it feels like the glory of God is gone, God is still going to get his glory and do what he needs to do in amongst the people. And show his goodness and his faithfulness to his people. And we have to be that way too. I'm going to pray for us, and that's going to wrap up the first part of our, our series. Um, Father God, I thank you for um, this narrative. I thank you for the Ark of the Covenant. I thank you for this example that you give for us, this artifact and the picture and how beautifully crafted it is and the message that it tells us. I thank you for your faithfulness to your people. I pray that um, today you would speak to us, that you would transform us, and that you would bring about your healing to people around us this week, that we would be that testimony that they need, that we would be that word that can transform their life, that we would be the living embodiment of it. Because your word is not just spoken, it comes into being. And we cannot be people that just talk, but people that do and people that love and people that are real. Use us this week, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.